Thank you, praise team. It's good to see you this morning. Everybody good? Fantastic. It's a great day to be on the Lord's house. Merry Christmas. Good deal. Did, did you get one of my gifts this morning? How many ate a cookie? Did, did you even know cookies were out there? Guys, listen, I stayed up all night last night baking those cookies for you, and I, I want you to have one before you leave. Merry Christmas. That's really not my Christmas gift to you. Uh, my Christmas gift is a short message. Okay, I know you don't appreciate that, so I'll make it long, all right? Good deal. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, looking at verse number 9 this morning. Uh, through the month of December, we've been talking about the incarnation. That's a big word that simply means God became flesh. Okay? The God of heaven took the form of a man. He was born by a virgin uh, in Bethlehem in a manger, and he is the Son of God who brought salvation to this world. That's what the incarnation is all about. And, and we've been looking at, at passages of Scripture that, that indirectly deal with the coming of Jesus. For example, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, the last chapter, chapter 4, and we read this prophecy that Malachi wrote 400 years before Jesus came. He said, the Son of Righteousness is coming with healing in His wings. And that's exactly what Jesus brought to us. He brought us righteousness and he brought us healing. And then last week we looked at 1 John chapter 3 and John tells us why Jesus came. He said that the Son of Man appeared to take away our sins. Okay? And I talked last week, this is the reason Jesus came. He came to deal with our greatest problem, which is a sin problem. Jesus came to deal with our sins, to take them away. And then a couple of verses later in, in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen? So greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And then today we're going to look at this extravagant gift that God has brought to us, his son Jesus Christ, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm just going to read verse 9 to you. Everybody good? Man, what a good-looking crowd today. Well, glad you're here. I'm just kind of looking around. Man, y'all look great today. Thanks for being here. Oh, there she is up there. Got my little Ella Jane today. Ella Jane came to see Poe this morning. I know y'all are excited about that, aren't you? Yeah. Glad that she's here. Y'all give her a hand. That's okay. You, you can clap for my grandbaby. I'm glad she's here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's verse 9. You know the generous grace, I'm going to stop right there, underline those words generous grace, or at least put them in the back of your mind, because that's what this is all about, the generous grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. That is amazing, guys. Can anyone say amen to that verse? Amen. I love that verse in the message. Jason Armstrong, you've got the message right in front of you. Here's what it says in the message. Look at this. You are familiar with the generosity of our master, Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor 
so that you might be rich. Heavenly Father, thank you for this indescribable gift. Thank you for your vast generosity, your graciousness in sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for taking my sins on your own body as you hung on Calvary's cross. Thank you for dying for us and loving us enough to save us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, I don't think I have to tell you Christmas is just a couple of days away. Let me see the hands of everyone who has finished their Christmas shopping. Raise your hands loud and proud. Be loud and proud about it, right? Good deal. If you didn't raise your hands, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in big trouble if you haven't finished. Uh, however, I've got a suggestion for you. Uh, you still may be able to get to a great gift online, Billy. Uh, I, would, I would give you a website right now. Write this down. Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus Fantasy Christmas Catalog. Have y'all been browsing that? Huh? Well, if, if, if you really want an extravagant gift to give a loved one, there's where you need to go. Neiman Marcus Fantasy Christmas Catalog. For example, if, if you, how many pet lovers we have out there? You like animals? Anybody like? Maybe, maybe you have a, a favorite pet. For me, it's Rocket. <laughs> you know about Rocket. Or maybe you just have a favorite animal that you would like cast in bronze. You can have that done by a famous Danish sculptor, Warren Segard. Uh, it only costs you $200,000. That's pretty extravagant, is it not? Or maybe this, you have a spouse, a husband or a wife, who's always wanted to be a secret agent. I could ask for a show of hands, but I'm not going to. You can make their fantasy come true this year of being a secret agent. Operatives will do stuff like this. They'll jump out of airplanes. They get to drive supercars, enjoy covert dinners, and unforgettable accommodations at the Waldorf, Waldorf in Las Vegas. Price tag on that? 315000 bucks. Man, what a fantasy, huh? Or maybe you want to go all out and purchase for your loved one a 74-foot yacht. Now, this is not just any yacht sold by Neiman Marcus. It has 1,100 square feet of solar panels. It's going to power everything on the inside. The interior is inspired by Neiman Marcus's own fashion director, Ken Downing. Now, let me warn you, this might max out your credit card. <laughs> $7,100,000 price tag for that. But guys, you want to talk about an extravagant gift? Let me tell you of the most extravagant gift of all time that has been given through eternity was given by the grace of our own God as he poured it out on humanity. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 tells us about this generous grace of God. This extravagant gift... That Jesus gave to us. I only have two points this morning. Some of, some of y'all up there, y'all love it when I only have two points. <laughs> this is my blessing on you today, all right? Only two points, and the first one is this Jesus Christ went from riches to rags. Do you have that? Jesus Christ went from riches to rags. Verse number nine, you know the generous grace. That's the line we underline, generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. 
Now, as I studied this passage and this verse, a couple of questions just popped up from that phrase. Two, two propositions that I think need to be answered today. And the first one is this. It says he was rich. So the first question is, well, just how rich was Jesus when he was in heaven before he became a man? Just how rich was Jesus Christ in heaven before he took on humanity? Well, I searched the scriptures, and, and I think I've got a, a pretty good answer for you. Jesus was rich in his person, for he was and is Almighty God, the creator of all things. Secondly, he was rich in his possessions. He was surrounded by the glory of the Father, the glory of the Holy Spirit, and all the heavenly angels. Earth was his footstool. Everything in heaven belonged to Jesus Christ. He owned it all. In heaven and on earth. He was also rich in his position. He was co-equal with the Father. He is King of kings and he is Lord of lords. And finally, he is rich in power. The Bible tells us that the Son of God participated in the creation of the world. In fact, Kelly and I looked this up last night. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that by him and for him, everything that was made was made. It was made by him, and it was made for him. You talk about power. Jesus held it in his hands. How rich was he? Beyond your wildest imaginations. Beyond human description. Jesus owned everything. Everything in heaven, everything on earth. It belonged to him. But this passage goes on to say, Yet for your sakes he became poor. So the second question is, well, how poor did Jesus become when he took on human flesh? Well, the word for poor here means abject poverty. We're not just talking about being a little short on cash or barely making ends meet. What we're talking about is the equivalent of being a beggar, of having absolutely nothing. So what happened is, Jesus took on himself a human body. He left the throne of heaven to become the servant of mankind. He left his riches and glory to be the poorest of the poor among men. I told first service people I can remember back in uh, seminary when I was at Southwestern and my systematic theology professor was Danish, okay? He was a Danish philosopher and systematic uh, theology professor. And one day in class he said this, and it was a long time ago I wrote this down because it just blew my mind. He said, students, men aspire. He said, by that I mean man aspires to ascend. We are lowly, but we want to get big. We want to get rich. We want to get famous. We want to become powerful. Man aspires to ascend. On the other hand, he said, our God condescended himself to the measure of a woman's womb. That is, the God of the universe who spoke a word and the world came into existence. The God who waved his hand and planets filled an empty sky. The God who owns it all became a tiny speck in a woman's womb. He said, first of all, man doesn't aspire to do that. <laughs> 
man aspires to ascend, not condescend. And he said, secondly, even if we wanted to do it, we couldn't do it. (laughs) Only God could do that. So he laid aside all of his possessions in heaven, and he came to this earth. The Bible says Jesus was so poor, he didn't even have a pillow to lay his head on. But his ultimate experience of poverty was when he was made sin for us on Calvary's cross. And on the cross, he bore our sin. And on the cross, Jesus Christ became the poorest of the poor. There was also rejection and ridicule and persecution and betrayal and suffering, all of which culminated in the agony of Gethsemane and the cruelty of the cross. These things together made up the full price of your salvation. Now, salvation is a free gift, right? It's a free gift, but it costs God everything. And you might wonder, well, why in the world did he do it? Verse 9 tells us, it says, for your sakes, for your sakes, the one who is rich became poor so that you who are poor might become rich. And that's point number two. Jesus gave it all up. Jesus, who was rich, became poor. Jesus, who had riches, went to rags so that we who live in rags can go to riches. Look at verse 9 at the end. It says, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. That is, the Son of God became what he was not, that is, poor, so that we might become what we are not, rich. The sinless Son of God became the Son of Man, so that sinful sons of men might become sons of God. All right, nobody's doing it, so let me do it for us. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank God for that. Now, when I read this passage in verse 9, the end, i I got a couple of questions I've got to ask myself as well. First of all, how are we poor? Because this indicates we are very poor. How are we poor? The assumption is that we are so poor before we meet Jesus Christ. Well, how so? Well, I could give you a long list of the ways in which we are poor, but what the Scripture is referring to is this. We are poor in righteousness. In fact, we are bankrupt. There there is nothing righteous about us. We are sinful by nature and we are sinful by choice. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us has become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So you gather up all the things that are good for you or to you or you think you are, all of your righteousness, and you dangle that in front of God, and all he sees is filthy rags. In fact, the Bible goes on to say there is none righteous. No, not one. And again, I want you to go back to last Sunday. Why did Jesus come? He came to deal with our sin problem. The thing that is separating us from God, our sins, our unrighteousness. And then the second question is, okay, how do we become rich as it says we can in Jesus Christ? We know how we are poor. We are poor in righteousness. We're bankrupt. We are unrighteous. So how do we become rich? 
Very simple. Look at me. Here's how we do it. We trust in Jesus. We trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We invite Jesus into our heart. We say the sinner's prayer. We accept the fact that we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins. And we confess him with our mouth. And we believe in our heart that he is the Son of God. And we're saved. He comes into our life and forgives us of all of our sins. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But here's the great thing. We become the children of God. The Bible says that that we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. How do we become rich? We become rich in His righteousness. Okay. Remember, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our sinfulness is what's separating us from God. But when we accept Jesus' sacrificial death on Calvary's cross, His blood that washes away our sins, we are set free. We are made righteous. In fact, I don't want to get too doctrinal or technical on you here, but the Bible puts it this way. It tells us that we are imputed with His righteousness. So what that means is this. I confess Jesus is my Savior. He comes into my life, forgives me of my sins, takes away all of my sinfulness, and he imputes inside of me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I become a child of God, and in Jesus I am made rich. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Notice it's not our righteousness, it's his. Philippians 3:9, Paul says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived by the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Christ assumed our sin debt, and he paid for our sins on the cross with his life. So this is salvation from sin. But also it means that we are a child of God. And we get heaven as our home for eternity. That's a whole other sermon, but it's a pretty good thought. Amen? And it all comes with this free gift that Jesus gave. Jesus went from riches to rags so that we might go from rags to riches. How about an amen for that? Amen. Well, what does that mean? Well, it brings us down to this. What, what, is, what does all this mean for me today in December of 2018? Is this just simply some good theological proposition, or is there something more to it that affects my life today? And I would say absolutely so it affects our life. And, and it is seen really in the context of this particular verse. If we don't observe the context of this profound statement, it's just going to set out there as this nice ideal that really doesn't change anything about our lives. But the fact is that this statement is supported and supposed to be a motivation for a new way that we live life. To know and experience the riches of Christ causes us to follow the example of our Lord by sacrificing ourselves and our resources to help others and also to extend the kingdom of God. Now, I told you my sermon is short, and oh, we're doing great. It, it really is short. I'm almost finished. 
But what we need to do is look at this verse in its context. Okay, So I'm going to go back up to the front of the chapter, the start of chapter 8. And just for a little bit, let me talk about this. One of the reasons Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, and specifically chapter 8, is he was encouraging these Corinthians to make good on a promise that they had made earlier. And that is to help the impoverished saints over in Jerusalem. Paul, in his missionary journey, was collecting an offering for the believers in Jerusalem. They were undergoing great persecution. They were in great poverty. And so Paul was going around to all the churches he started and saying, hey, let's give a free will offering to the people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. And Corinth was one of the first churches to say, we'll do it. They signed a pledge card. (laughs) So we get those things. Oh, we'll be the first to give. But they had been slow in taking up their offering. And so what the Apostle Paul does in chapter 8 is he points to some other believers who had the exact opposite attitude about giving as these Corinthians did. He pointed to the believers in Macedonia and in particular to the church at Philippi. The extravagant gift of Christ going from riches to rags so that we might go from rags to riches moved them to participate freely in giving a great offering. Let me go back to verse 1. Here's what he says. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches of Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. That means they're having a pretty hard time of it. Life is rough. Can you relate to that? Well, maybe you can. They were going through tough times. And he goes on to describe it even further. Not only were they going through, they were very poor. They were on hard times, things were not going well, and they were very poor. You might say, well, what is very poor? Well, I looked out in the parking lot before I came in here, and now I'm looking at all of you, and this doesn't describe any of you. As poor as you may think you are, you weren't nearly as poor as the people of Philippi. They absolutely were living in poverty. They were very poor. But, time out, they are also filled with abundant joy. And this abundant joy has overflowed in rich generosity. And church, can I tell you in all honesty, this is what happens when someone is gripped with the reality of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that God in Christ, though he was rich, became poor, so that we who are poor might become rich. When you get a hold of this and it changes your heart, it also changes your thinking. Real important statement, think about this. Selfless living and selfless giving flow out of an understanding of what God has given to us. When you fully understand the sacrifice God made for you, that Jesus gave up everything to take care of your biggest problem and to give you salvation, when you understand that, dude, let me tell you, it changes the way you think and the way you feel. No longer are you selfish, either in your living or in your giving. In fact, have you ever heard the great economic philosophy that says, get all you can, 
can all you get set on the can? Anybody, have you, if you've ever heard that, raise your hand, because there are very, there are a few, very few, very few of you have heard that. I thought, it just dawned on me, first service, when I did that, I asked a question. Hardly anybody raised their hand, just like, I, I'm teaching y'all some good West Texas philosophy this morning. Because if you've not heard this in Arkansas and Oklahoma, it, it must have come from Texas because I, I was raised on this philosophy. I heard this as a kid, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can. You understand what that means? It means you, you get all you can. However you get it, you get it. You put it in a can or in a bank or wherever you want to put it, and then you sit on that, and you don't give it away, and you don't spend it. It's yours. You worked hard for it. You hang on to it. Isn't that the way most people live, though? Isn't that the philosophy of the world? I made this. It's mine. I'm, you know, I'll do with it what I want. God, it's not yours. And it sure ain't these people out here. I ain't giving it my stuff. No matter how rich you are or how poor you are, that philosophy saturates our lifestyles today. But you know what? If I read these verses correctly... It is telling me that wealth or poverty should have absolutely no bearing on my generosity as a believer in Jesus Christ. I mean, if, if God has blessed me with a lot, I understand. It ain't mine. It's God's. And God is just using me as a channel to put it to ministries and give it to other people who need it more than I do. And you know what? If I live in poverty, I understand, you know what? There's a reason for this, but God is still good. Everything I have, even though it might not be much, is his. And if he tells me to give it to somebody else, then I'm going to give it. He's going to take care of me. It's like the widow's might. Go back again and look at verse number two. If you're not believing what I'm saying, here it is in Scripture. They are being tested by many troubles. He's talking about the, the Christians at Philippi and Macedonia. They are the ones who are giving above and beyond, but yet they are tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. The text in 2 Corinthians 8 goes on to explain the process they went through and coming to this shift in priorities. Look very quickly at verses 3 through 5. He says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more than that. And they did it of their own what? Boy, I love that. Free will. Just put a capital F and W and you got us right there, right? Not, not only that, look at verse 4. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to. And can I tell you, that is the foundation of it all. You give yourself to God. You fully give yourself to God and to the work of the ministry. And when you do, there is a shift in the way you think and in the way you feel. And so it comes back to Paul's exhortation to them in verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways, dear church at Corinth, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, and in your love from us. 
Now, I would have expected him to say, your love for us, but I think they got pretty ticked off at Paul. (laughs) But yet he loved them and he gave them love. I want you, he says, to excel also in this gracious act of giving. What an admonition. A gracious act of giving. You know what that is? It's grace giving. And what is grace giving? Well, it goes back to verse 9. That that verse I told you to put in the back of your head. You know of God's generous grace. You know the generous grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who was rich yet became poor. So that through his poverty you might become rich. That's what Jesus did for us. And in light of what Christ has done for us, going from riches to rags so that we might go from rags to riches, we can do nothing less than first give ourselves to the Lord and then secondly give of ourselves to others and to the ministry. I love the story of the wise men, don't you? In Matthew's Gospel. They went went searching for this newborn king. They were led and guided by a star. And finally they they found where the Christ child was. And what what did they do? They worshipped him. Matthew chapter 2 verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures. And they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Church, do you understand that God in sending His Son, which we celebrate at Christmas, was God opening His treasure chest to us and saying, here is the best gift I have. The greatest gift of all. And all you have to do is accept it. You talk about an extravagant gift. Christ, who is rich, became poor, so that we who are poor might become rich. And what does that all that mean? All right, sermon's over. What does that mean? Well, it means that we have to do two things. Number one, we need to give ourselves first of all to the Lord. Notice, before any of this transformation can take place, you've got to give yourself to God. Just like those believers at, at Philippi did, the first thing they did is give their self to God. And if you've never done that, if you've never received God's gift of salvation, let me encourage you today, the Sunday before Christmas, receive that gift. I mean, what a great gift. All you have to do is receive it. You, it's as simple as ABC. You accept the fact you are a sinner. You are. B, believe that Jesus can save you from your sins. He's the only one who can. And then see, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you'll be saved. So accept that gift. And guys, if you're here today and you are a Christian, but you know, you're, you're away from God, you're really not living the life that you should be living, come today. Get a fresh grip on his hand. Live for him. So that's the first thing. Give yourself to the Lord. Second thing I encourage you to do is give of yourself. Give of yourself. Understand the admonition that that, that Paul makes here. The the reason of the incarnation is to change the way you think and the way you live. To be a giver. If you want to be like God, become a giver. And I think the best way to do that is simply to come to the altar and say, Lord, here I am. 
I present my body as a living sacrifice. And in 2019, I ask that you just take me and use me. Help me to live my life for God, for the kingdom, and for others. And oh yeah, Lord, everything that you've blessed me with, everything that you've given to me, it's yours. You just direct me and how you want me to filter it and give it and use it and I'll do it. It's a bold prayer. Are you up to the challenge? God gave his best. What are you willing to give? I called a buddy of mine this past week and said, uh, hey, dude, what, you, what, what are you preaching the Sunday before Christmas? He said, I'm preaching about giving. I said, I, I love it, man, because it's God's gift. It's all about giving. He says, no, I'm preaching about tithing. <laughs> I said, the Sunday before Christmas, you're going to preach a sermon on tithing? He said, yeah, yeah. He said, think about it, Will. He said, what is Christmas all about? Whose birthday is Christmas? I said, well, I, I see the point you're making. It's, it's, it's Jesus' birthday. He said, yeah, and all my people, they spent all this money, tons of money on giving gifts to people. It's not even their birthday. <laughs> so I'm going to challenge them to give their best. I said, that's great, Randy. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck with that one, dude. But you know what? I love the challenge. Jesus went from riches to rags so that Will Harmon, who lived in poverty, could now live in God's richness.